Welcome back to Campfire Football. After a nice weekend taking a break from social medias, and like I had a ton of games to coach, so I'm not going to pretend that I had a bunch of time and I was just you know, patiently abstaining from doing episodes. I didn't really even get to watch many games at all this weekend because I was all over the place coaching. So this has been an interesting time, right? Five days in football is an eternity. This is episode 56. That's kind of what it's about. I'm going to try and touch on the things that happened, but goodness, so many things did. How do you get your mind around what the big stories are? How do you get your mind around what the main talking points are that can take us into the week? Because as we know, football's in a weird place at the moment and where else to start but Old Trafford. Now, this was kind of hilarious to watch, honestly. I was watching the Arsenal game, and all of a sudden they cut away, and you're pretty much just watching these scenes develop at Old Trafford. And I'm actually really glad they did that, not because of anything against watching Arsenal against Newcastle, but this was so incredible to watch happen live. Um, it was pretty shocking, but it, it, in a funny way, reminded me of the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol back in January. And obviously on a much less severe scale, there's no loss of life, you know, very different in uh, in how serious it ended up being. But there was this element of, you see these videos of these people just sort of walking around, taking selfies, climbing goalposts, throwing a tripod, that guy's in trouble, uh, you know, doing knee slides after scoring goals, you know, I mean, just enjoying themselves and having the sense of sort of wonder that they are in that position, that they found a way to get into the ground. Because a lot of people talk about how Old Trafford is such a difficult ground to get into in general that, yeah, I mean, I thought this was kind of fascinating. Now, the whole thing is just kind of getting a little bit weird, though, because now I don't know what the direct action is going to result in in terms of direct demands because get out of our club is not really going to cut it we've seen that stan Kroenke said i don't plan on leaving spotify ceo daniel Eck gets with a few players they try to put together some kind of deal um to for how they can maybe plan to take over i mean these these owners they're not planning on going anywhere and it's going to take an enormous amount of money to buy the club off them so telling them to leave is just not really going to work and storming the ground, you know, it doesn't look good for Man United. Uh, and I, I get it. But how about instead of get out of our club, how about say renovate renovate the club, renovate the ground, right? Old Trafford apparently is falling apart, you know, and then boycotting is your best tool. We just did it this weekend. I don't know what the final results were, right? I'd love to actually have some kind of idea of what the metrics were for social media, how much, say, English Premier League hashtags did they get this past weekend i would imagine a drastic amount less than normal how did that traffic work did, who, whose pockets were hurt a little bit by this weekend these would be interesting things to find out one thing that's for sure though is boycotts tend to be your best option if you're a man united fan and you want the glazers out start making it start hitting them where it hurts their pockets their money if you don't go to games and you don't stream them and you don't buy the gear they're all of a sudden going to be like well we're not as profitable as we normally are as soon as fans are allowed back in the ground, what if for the first three, four games of the season, nobody or like just a thousand people showed up, even though, you know, they're about to allowed to have maybe half capacity. That would be a real strong statement. And it will work if it happens in mass. 
but you saw 400 people basically roll into the stadium. It's really easy for the Glazers to look at that and go, that's a loud minority and they're tiny. So we don't need to care. We're not selling the club anyway. So who knows? I mean, it's interesting because on on the topic of ownership, we've it, more and more stuff has been coming out, right? Um, how different clubs are deciding to restructure things. It looks like Chelsea are trying to create some kind of uh, fan base uh, group that can be a part of board meetings at the club to, to, to help make decisions. A really interesting idea. I, I think there's certain clubs that are starting to find a way out of this where they're looking for solutions. Others that aren't. And there's also owners that, in some cases, actually want to get out. If you take a look at what's happening with Gironde and Bordeaux, this is really sad. It's a, a, one of the best clubs in French history, one of their institutions. They're in a really bad spot. They've gone into administration. They need over $100 million to survive. And they need... They need some outside investment to avoid a complete financial collapse because King Street Capital, an American investment group who took over in 2018, just decided we're done, we're out, we're leaving. And they just completely left the club on their asses, basically. So now, look, I think that but because Bordeaux is such a big institution in France, there will be a lot of people coming to help. But it goes to show you just how dangerous it is when an investment group from outside comes in and they say, hey, you know, we've got this great idea. It's, um, you know, we're going to put 45 million euros into this club and that should be good. Well, the way football works nowadays, if you don't are not savvy with how you spend 45 million, you're going to waste it. You're going to burn it. And essentially, that's kind of what started to happen. They were like, we're done. We're out. And that's really, really unfortunate. Then on top of that, you've got Lille, who are an enormous financial mess as well. They're, they're 200 million euros in debt. Um, it's, it's a real struggle for them at the moment. Good thing for them is the position that they're in. Unlike Bordeaux, Lille are top of the French table with three games to play. If they win out, then guess what? They win the French title. And at that point, I think they may have an easier route out because they have a lot of really good sellable assets. And if you add a title onto that, those guys become even more in demand. Guys like Renato Sanchez, Timothy Weah, Bubakari Sumare, Jonathan's David Ikone and Bamba, Sven Botman. I mean, the, the list of players that they have that they could sell off is really long. Um, Yusuf Yazici as well. I mean, Jackie Chelik. It's, it's, it's a pretty deep list of players that you could sell and still keep a really strong squad and have the nucleus. Uh, Mike Mignol, the goalie, has been talked about as eyed up just in case Donnarumma leaves AC Milan. So I, I think that if they're able to sell three or four of those, they can get themselves out of financial mess. And if they win the title, then that'll be really, really good for them. But you can see how you know, financial ruin in a lot of clubs is starting to to really simmer. You can tell that it's coming. Uh, it's just amazing what the European Super League debacle kickstarted. Uh, in a way, it's probably the best fire starter that football's had in, in a very, very long time. So many conversations about how we can reform the game, how money and greed in football are completely taking over and have for a long time. But now it's to the point where it's taken over. Right? Instead of us thinking, oh, it's going this way, it's going... No, we're there. And now, what kind of conversations can we have to get out of this? Got some people who have really been disappointed in some of the rhetoric coming from Gary Neville and different people just because they sound somewhat hypocritical. Uh, and I, I mentioned that before. And 
it's a really weird situation. Who are the people that we want to be listening to right now the most? Who are the smartest people who can get us out of this? And I don't think it's pundits. I don't think it's, uh, you know, club figures and ex-players. Those people tend to get really, really emotional. And so when I think about what's going on at Man United right now, and you've got, you know, all their ex-players on the airwaves just ripping into the Glazers, what real solution are they offering? And what are their hands in anyways? Like, what do they have conflicts of interest somewhere? Um, and, they, and they do. And so it is a really, really difficult situation. Who are the people that we want talking about this right now? Look, football is lean at the moment with with a lot of the money, but it's also volatile. And so I can see this summer being crazy. Some clubs going into administration, some clubs getting weird cash investments from out of nowhere. Uh, it's going to be a really interesting summer to see how the corporate side of the game, the the money side of the game, the business side, how it decides to function in a post-pandemic age where apparently there's not much money, but there's been insane viewership all year. So there's money. Just who's it going to go to? Where's it going to go? It's going to be wild. So, okay. On, on to one other thing about the social media boycott that I think was important this weekend. We have to go back and remember what happened to Karen Carney with the lead supporters way back in January. Now, I did an episode about this. It was episode five uh, of the show, if you want to listen to it. I think it's uh, right around my New Year's, um, right around New Year's. And I talked about how the comments that she made and how leads reacted and the way men were essentially targeting her was disgusting and, and ridiculous. And that... It, there was no ability to see nuance in anything she said. It was just, you're attacking our club. We're upset about it. And the pile on that she got was crazy on social media. She ended up leaving Twitter. And, you know, her quotes on this were heartbreaking. I mean, the, the long list of things she talked about that were really, really upsetting to read. And the one that really got me was Emma Hayes saying to her, like, she called her and said, you've changed because this hardened her. This like is a traumatic situation. She got out of with some scars and now she's a little bit different because of it. And that's sad. Like that just because a pundit says something that's completely reasonable in a lot of ways, depending on what angle you decide to look at it. Uh, if a bunch of people decide to abuse her and it, and it gets her to the point where she, her mental health is so unstable, you're not sure she's going to hurt herself or take her own life. I mean, this is ridiculous, right? So once again, all of us out there, we need to be conscious of this. Stop bullying. Stop doing things online. That's why we took a break this weekend. And I thought this story was just, it, it's good timing that she comes out and talks about it because, you know, it, we need the reminder that someone was just abused online to the point where their own health and safety was really at risk. And I, I, we've, we've got to be careful about that. So stop bullying online or otherwise. Just don't do it. Okay, on to a more exciting, positive story about women's football because this weekend were the second leg of the Champions League semifinals for the Women's Champions League. And uh, Barcelona swept Man City aside, won 3 0 in the second leg, and they're on to the final. Chelsea overturned a 2 1 deficit against Bayern Munich to win 4 1. And I know that although that scoreline sounds you know, like they walked away and it was comfortable. It was far from comfortable at all. It was, quite frankly, pretty terrifying. Um, don't believe me? 
please just go look at the highlights. I could get into this if I want. I could really go through it all with you. There, Bayern scored an unbelievable goal, an absolute golazo. And then you have to see what just happens in the final few minutes of this game. It was complete pandemonium. Emma Hayes on the sideline. It's too fun to watch her. She is. She wears her heart on her sleeve. She's out there going crazy. You can hear her screaming everything the whole time. And look, I, it was it was really really fun to watch the game. And because of the social media blackout, I realized that there Chelsea were not going to be posting her post match interview or and a lot and so a lot of the different broadcasters they didn't actually post the post match interview until today or yesterday. So I got to actually finally watch something I've been dying to see is what did Emma Hayes think of the way that game ended. And you know what? You cannot get a better candid interview from almost anybody than Emma Hayes. Have a listen to this. She's still biting her nails. She's standing with us now. Emma Hayes into your first Champions League final with a team that is, they have given you everything out there. You know, that last three minutes, watching the ball go into our box, go both back posts. Oh, my tummy. You thought it went in other games. That was the worst moment. And then to watch the ball go to Fran, and I'm thinking, go 1v1. I didn't realise they didn't have a goalkeeper in the goal. Oh, I'm not going to sit and give you a load of crappy platitudes. I worked my whole life today, and I'm so proud of them players. You know, they delivered, they're resilient. Everybody was did everything they can. You know, in these situations, it's so tense. And uh, oh. I'll, I'll just apologise for the language, but I understand your emotion fully. This is this. You've been a coach since you were 20 years old. Yeah. And this, I'm guessing, is the absolute pinnacle for you to get the chance. I'm going to say this to every coach sitting at home. This is thousands of hours, this point. Thousands of travelling, thousands of setbacks. Uh, working with different teams, different moments. Like, I, I'm so proud of myself. I got to this level through my hard work, my determination. And I'm fortunate enough to be working for a football club that I adore that have given me license to do this and I work for a set of players that were always in control. I never felt I was, but they 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 did everything everything possible today. And as well as scoring all of the goals, their defensive commitment, yeah. and, and particularly during those last sort of five minutes when Bayern Munich were peppering the goal. You know what? We had to cope with differences in that we knew they were going to change something, we changed something. We felt we dealt with their threats. They give us the counter space where we got the first goal from. I thought we were terrible from conceding set pieces today. Far too many for my liking. Goal comes when we don't have a player on the edge of the box. Because whatever, there's too much technical nonsense you lot don't want to hear about. But we adjusted that. I thought they were always going to be threatening. Dalman coming to the inner corridor, I thought she was threatening. But just we just put bodies on the line. The team put bodies on the line. and. Just think, I don't know any more than that. Emma, talk me through the mentality of the players, though. What's the difference to get you from semi-finals to the final now? I played them a video from a UFC star. It was a minute video before the game, and she was talking to herself, saying, I am the best, I am the best. And she won the fight, and straight after the fight, the camera said to her, you were saying to yourself, I am the best. And she said, yeah, but I am the best. And that's what I said to the players before the game. 
someone described us as mentality monsters and we're the best and we're in this position because we deserve to be and I'm but what exactly is it though that's made you know the mentality monsters what uh, put something on it it's, it's, it's people it's people that ultimately that are willing to do all the crappy things in the right in the right moments like you talk about the bodies against the line but it's the fact that we've been through a lot together we've journeyed I've been here nine years like that's not just happened it's been a long time coming and I'm um, I'll tell you what, I'm going to have a nice sing-song on the way home and I'm going to cry the whole way home because I'm... I know, it's great, it is, it's great. And actually, interesting, you know, you are a pioneer, but you're setting examples, I hope, for lots of young women to want to follow you into coaching because you're the first female manager to make it into a Champions League final or the equivalent for 12 years. The first ever in the new format you know of what? the UEFA Women's Champions League. I don't think League. about that, I just think about winning... I just want to win. I love winning. It doesn't bore me. And this is a tournament I like being in. And I think it's important for English football we made it. And we've had a lot of French, German conversations. Well, English football is, is one of the best in the world. And getting to the final, I think, finally shuts up Europe in terms of what we're doing in this country. And now we've got to face another top team in Barcelona. Barcelona, yeah. Wow. Exactly. Listen, going to let you go. Go and cry. Go and celebrate. Don't fall over. Thank you so much. And many, many congratulations. Thanks. Well, look, Emma Hayes is my hero. I've said it for a while. She's an amazing coach. I, I saw her run a session back at a, a coach's convention five years ago. I was blown away. Um, and then since then, every single thing I see just impresses me more and more and more. And the way she just handled this interview, after they told her, after she swore at the beginning... Uh, and they said we had to quickly apologize for the language. You see her under her breath say, shit. <laughs> it's just like she can't help herself. And then later on in the interview, at one point, she says she's going to get in her car and cry because she's, and she lips. So you'd have to watch the interview, but she lips it. She says, so fucking happy. Again, hilarious. I mean, you you've got to love it. You've got to love it. The way she talks, the way she is. Um, and this team is to be honest, kind of hanging on at this point. Uh, they, they, they were, I think very lucky to get by Wolfsburg. They were in a lot of ways lucky to get by, uh, by Munich. They were lucky to get by man city when they played them a few weeks ago, but this is the mark of a team that can really suffer through to become champions. So the final against Barcelona is going to be, Probably a pretty amazing game. I mean, I, I don't know where it's going to go. Barcelona looks so dominant. You kind of worry that if Chelsea don't show up and really go for it and play, Barcelona could make this extremely comfortable the way they play. They lost one time all season, and that was in the first leg of their Champions League tie to Man City. Since then, uh, well, I mean, then they beat them 3-0, wiped the floor with them. Here's their record in the league this season. 19 wins, 2 draws, 0 losses. They've got 86 goals for and six against. They have 12 goals against all season if you if you count the Champions League goals. I mean, wow. That is an unbelievable record. And so Chelsea have their work cut out for them. And Chelsea also now have to win their final two games of the Premier League, of the Women's Super League, to be able to win that title as well. They're on two fronts right now. Basically, three finals for Chelsea. They win those three. They take a double, and they'd be the first English club to win the European, the Women's Champions League, which would be really huge. All right. Well, look, I, like I said, there's a bunch of stories to talk about. Here's a fun one. The little quick one is Mourinho's back already. Just two weeks after getting fired from Spurs, 
Mourinho is back. He will be with Roma, of course, next season. Paulo Fonseca is actually going to finish this season. Mourinho will start right in the summer. And I'm excited. He could be great in Italy again. He did awesome with Inter. And, you know, maybe this is just going to be a good happy period for him to, to, to do something a little different, get away from the English press, deal more with the Italian press. Who knows? Maybe he likes them more. I don't know. But as far as Italy goes... We got a big story. Inter are title winners. Congratulations to Antonio Conte and his band of mercenaries because, to be honest, I mean, they completely ransacked Serie A this season. They went and won the title in quite an incredible fashion. There were some big, big, big games along the way. It's not like they were just flat-track bullies. They've won the league with four games to play. They did get knocked out of the Champions League, right? And didn't even make Europa League because of it. Finished fourth in their group. But look, Conte did the right thing. He said, you know what? That's fine. We're done with this. We are going to focus 100% on the league. They ground out a lot of results for a little while just to get a little closer. And then they started turning on the style. And now Inter Milan are champions. That race for the top four is still heating up. Atalanta drew, Napoli drew, Juventus won. Lazio won, so it's it's still all up in the air. We'll see how that goes over the next uh, over the next week here. And well, I mean, what should we go on? Should we talk about more things? I don't know. Champions League games are about to start, so I'm gonna go watch the the uh, Real Madrid or sorry, the Manchester City um, PSG Champions League second leg right now. That's just about to start, and. No, I mean, I think this is this was a good weekend for us, right? To to put some perspective in, to boycott something, to let go of some of that FOMO that you have maybe with your social media accounts that, you, you know, if any of us that are working in podcasting or memeing or whatever, to just not do it for the weekend. I hope it felt good for you. I enjoy it always. I always enjoy putting that stuff down for a little bit. But some people, maybe it, this was a big thing, and I hope you enjoyed it and really feel good from just – taking a break, right? Um, our attention is worth so much. It's worth everything to these companies and how we direct it is is the key. It's the key to our happiness. It's the key to the effects and changes that we want to make in this world. So now that we are in a position where change looks ripe and ready and a lot of people are talking about things, let's advance the conversation. Let's stay positive. Let's remember that we love this game of football and that is how we can generate maybe some bigger changes in our society. It's happened a million times before. We can do it again. Just keep talking in depth, nuance, substance. Look for solutions. Don't get emotional, angry, and mad. And enjoy and love your football. Thanks so much, everybody. This is Campfire Football. Enjoy the Champions League. <laughs>